0: Today's gospel lesson, having to do with unclean spirits, and somewhat in the topic of evil, reminds me of a somewhat funny story. Where I served before in Pennsylvania, I was talking with one of my colleagues there about our plans to travel from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh for Thanksgiving. We were going to go on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and we were going to travel along the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The penn turnpike as it's known. And I shared with them that I was excited about this trip. Now, you see, I like the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The whole world is on the Pennsylvania Turnpike right before Thanksgiving. The variety of humanity that stops at Pennsylvania Turnpike stops is just something of a wonder. You see, all assortments of families, all combinations, sizes and shapes and colors, You see people who are there dressed, their kids are dressed in their pajamas. You see people dressed in their own pajamas. There is such a variety at the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and especially on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I think that's fun. But my colleague, she does not like the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and especially the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. She said, You know what I say to my family? She said to me, when we go, when we travel along the Turnpike? Well, we're in the car, I say, Okay. We're going to go in there. I don't want you to look at anybody. I don't want you to talk to anybody. I don't want you to touch anything and hold your breath. (laughs) So she said to me, Whitney, what are you going to do, just look the devil in the eyes? And I said, I guess so. Our gospel lesson today is about unclean spirits and Jesus's power over unclean spirits. So I want to turn the screw a little tighter on this very topic. About a decade ago, when I was serving a church in New Jersey, there was a parishioner there who had just moved into a new house. She had moved after a very bitter divorce, and she, with custody of her two children, was establishing a new home for her and for them. She loved her new little house. She said to me one day at coffee hour, I just want to tell you, I think my house has some type of spirit in there. And it's okay. It seems like a friendly spirit. But I sense that there's something there because doors open without my doing them. And it doesn't have to do with the leveling of the floor or the wind or anything like that. A cabinet will be open. A cupboard will be open. Even her front door opened on its own. She said, but I think it's okay. I just wanted to tell you about it. I said, okay. Well, a few weeks, maybe a month later, she came to me and she said, I'm tired of them. I don't want them in my house. Is there anything that you can do? Now, we do, us priests, have a variety of services at our disposal, liturgies that we can use. And we do have some accommodation for an exorcism. But I thought that was a little extreme because she didn't talk about them being evil. She just said they were annoying and she didn't want them in her house. So I turned to our book of occasional services, which has within it a house blessing. And it has some instructions about how to bless a home. And I thought that seems more fitting because she did not speak of them being evil, just annoying. So I, we set up a time for me to come over with this liturgy in the middle of the day while the kids were at school so that they wouldn't get nervous or freaked out about it. She invited one of her very close friends, a very faithful Christian woman, to come and be a part of this service. And so as we were driving, oh, as I was driving over to her house, I thought, Maybe I should call the bishop and tell him that I'm doing this. <laughs> so I did, left him a voicemail, told him I don't think this is anything really big, it's not an exorcism or anything, which I know you'd want to know about, but I did want you to know. I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna do a house blessing, and if you hear from me later, you'll know that it might be in relationship to this event. And so I went and we opened up the book and follow the liturgical instructions, and started in the front room, and I did a prayer for the front room, and we went upstairs, and we went through the bedrooms, we got to the attic. There's no prayer for a blessing of the attic, so I made one up <laughs> for the bathroom. We did. There's cupboards and things in there. I didn't want any space to go unblessed, so I made up one for the bathroom. We went downstairs, went to the basement, also had to make up one for the basement, went out to the garage, and had to make up one for the garage, but we wanted to cover every space of their living environment. We came back through the kitchen and we came to the family room. This was going to be the final room for our prayers, a blessing. And as I started the prayer, the cabinet door opened. <laughs> now the woman who lives there was closest to the cabinet and her friend was between us and I was on the outside and her friend literally jumped at least two and a half feet toward me. And I said, We are starting this prayer over. (laughs) Shut the cabinet, and we're going to finish this prayer. We somehow know that evil exists in the world. that unclean spirits reside among us, yet it's hard to put our finger on them, and that's part of what makes it evil. It can be slippery. Someone asked me recently, Whitney, do you believe in evil? And I paused, because I thought, The first words that come out of my mind, this person's going to listen to. And after a pause, I said, I definitely believe in evil. But my pausing is because it it is so hard to define. There is not one definition. You cannot say this is evil and this is not. That's part of what makes evil real and alive in this world. But upon further thought, I think there is a definition for evil. Evil is anything that prevents us from being in relationship with God. Evil is anything that prevents us from being in right relationship with ourselves and with one another. That is evil. And anything can be turned into evil. So we see here in our gospel lesson today, here's a man with an unclean spirit. He is part of God's chosen people. That's why he's in the synagogue with all the rest of the people that are in the synagogue for worship and that unclean spirit cries out and sets up the relationship from the very get-go with Jesus. He says, "What have you do? What have you done? Come to destroy us?" Just by the question, the relationship is established. It's one of competition. And Jesus demonstrates his power and commands that spirit to come out of him. And with the spirit leaving the man, That relationship between that man and Jesus, that man and the community, that man and himself, that relationship is restored. Jesus has the power to speak against unclean spirits, that which is not holy. And in speaking against it, can reclaim that relationship and make it right again. Right between him and them, right between that individual with him, him or herself, and right with that person and the rest of the community. So consider what it is sometimes that turns to evil. Anything can be turned to evil, which prevents us from having a right relationship with one another, within ourselves and with God, anything. There is nothing that starts off evil. It is what happens to things that makes it evil. Consider fear. Fear is a necessary human emotion. There's nothing wrong or bad with fear. But when fear paralyzes us and keeps us from moving forward, it turns into evil. Consider anger, a necessary response to wrongs that are done. But when anger prevents relationship from happening and being restored, it becomes evil. What about our principles? We're all supposed to have principles. It's good that we have principles. But when those principles become a dividing line and it's us against them, it becomes evil even something as silly as a cell phone. Cell phones are not inherently evil. They can be done, used for a lot of good. But when two people are sitting at the same table and both of them are engaged with their device, it becomes evil. It breaks down the relationship between human beings. I could do a long list. I'll throw in one other. Caring for one another. It's a good thing. But when our care turns into anxiety and worry, it's twisted for evil. So we come before God with our whole selves and we ask God to help remove that evil within us, that evil that is lurking right beside us, ready to take a very good thing and turn it into bad. Love, love is a good thing, but when it becomes obsession, it becomes evil. The list goes on and on, and this is what we're invited to consider. What it is that we have permitted to turn to evil, and how it is we need God to restore that within us. Even Jesus' fame, as we hear it described at the end of this gospel reading today, fame can be a fine thing. But when fame is used to lay claim on a person and to only demand or receive from that person what you expect, it becomes evil. And Jesus challenges that over and again in his ministry. Money, it's a totally amoral thing. It has no morality to it. But when it's used to hurt another person, it becomes evil. This is what we have to pay attention to as God's followers in Christ. How it is that the good can be turned into evil. Jesus shows us through his life and ministry, through his death and resurrection, that he has the power to overcome evil. Consider what it was that led to his death. The religious authorities, wanting to uphold the religious teachings, wanting to give themselves to piety and devotion, it turned to self-righteousness, and that self-righteousness is evil. The crowd that in, in, in each of us is a desire to be a part of a group we look for affinities. We look for unity among others. It's a good thing. But when the crowd turns and their affinity is in yelling the words, Crucify him, it becomes evil. Pilate, as a leader of that area, wants to have peace in the land. That's a good thing. But when his peace, his desire for peace turns into political expediency and he sets up an innocent person for death, it becomes evil. We see in Jesus the ability for God to overcome all evil. Because even in Jesus' death, it's not the end. The resurrection reminds us that God overcomes evil, all evil, even the evil that led to his death. And we need to be reminded of that. This is what Paul talks about in his letter to the Romans. I'm sure you've heard portions of this before. It's in the 8th chapter, and I want to remind you of what that scripture reads. This is Paul writing. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No, Paul says, God demonstrates in Christ his desire to be in relationship with us. And he will remove all obstacles, even the evil that we are certain has a foothold. This is the one that we serve. This is the Lord that we serve. And it is him, he has empowered each of us to be his hands and feet in this world. To remind the world that God in Christ Jesus has conquered all evil and brings us into right relationship with Him, with ourselves, and with one another. Thanks be to God. Amen.